MSW Media. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello and welcome to episode 130 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. It's Wednesday, July 19th. I'm your host, Allison Gill. And I'm Pete Strzok. We have a lot to cover today, including a new filing in which Trump asks the Georgia Supreme Court to fire Fonnie Willis and bury the grand jury report, a cease and desist letter from Hunter Biden's lawyer to the former president, and some severe sanctions for Rudy Giuliani in the Moss Freeman defamation case. Yeah. And speaking of sanctions, we have some new ones for Carrie Lake and Captain Underpants, Alan Dershowitz, along with a host of new problems with Republican whistleblowers. Uh, but first, uh, let's thank our new patrons. Patrons, you make the show possible. Um, if you want to sign up, it's patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod, A-I-S-L-E 45 P-O-D. You can pick whatever name you want and we'll read it on the air. Like Cheryl L. Raven, Dan Puza, Holly Schniller, Warren Weld, Melanie Parker, Allison, just Allison, Tammy M., Dave Chandler, uh, Kay Garden Snow, uh, Caroline Tompkins, Sandra, Deborah Farkas Paffenberger, Travis Koch, Pamela Branning, Lauren Howard, and Rob Christopher. Again, thank you so much. We'll have more shout outs to give later in the show, but I just wanted to 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 read those that brief list of names of our of our new wonderful patrons. Welcome. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh Amazing, and thank all of you for that. The so let's start out immediately talking about the Trump filing uh, against Fonnie Willis, and Georgia was dismissed. And this is uh, from the <laughs> shocking nobody, because you know Trump's attempt to find laws that uh, have existed for everyone else and find somehow that they aren't appropriate or constitutional, shockingly was thrown out on his butt. So this is from the uh, court order that in his original petition, petitioner seeks one to compel Judge McBurney to quash the special purpose grand jury's report and to bar use of its contents in any future proceedings, whether civil or criminal. Two, <laughs> to, you know, just, just all of it, all of it. Just, you know, nobody else has ever encountered a special uh, purpose grand jury. And Trump and Trump alone is the first person to run into this clearly improper thing and but it continues too that right, wasn't like, just it i mean like all of a sudden the the, the court's gonna go hey wait we never oh, thought about this what have before. we been doing for the past what you know 60 what? 80 years so suddenly thank god for trump's attorneys they come have to pulled, think of it they have pulled the wool from in front of our eyes and now we clearly see clearly see the abuse of these special purpose grand juries but that's not all too 
the petitioner sought to prohibit District Attorney Willis from introducing to a regular grand jury any evidence obtained via the special purpose grand jury, and finally, three, to compel District Attorney Willis's disqualification as a quote-unquote party representative in any proceeding involving petitioner. Petitioner contends that such extraordinary relief is necessary in this case because, according to him, the entire special purpose grand jury scheme in Georgia is so vague that it violates his constitutional rights to due process under the law, both facially and as applied in this case, because all of the evidence obtained by the special purpose grand jury is therefore unlawful. Now, (laughs) the, the court rather quickly concluded... Petitioner's claim fails in the light of that precedent. He makes no showing that he has been prevented fair access to the ordinary channels. Notably, Petitioner does not assert that the Superior Court has denied him the opportunity or ability to seek therein the relief he now requests from this court. Indeed, he admits that in March 2023, he submitted and the Superior Court clerk filed motions in which he sought to quash the special purpose grand jury's report and to disqualify Willis. And although he complains that Judge McBurney has yet to rule on these motions, he is not asking this court to compel Judge McBurney to rule. Instead, he is asking this court to step in and itself decide the motions currently pending in the Superior Court. This is not the sort of relief that this court affords, at least absent extraordinary circumstances that Petitioner has not shown are present here. Another day, (laughs) (laughs) another Trump loss in court. The book is full. We need we need more more space to write of the Trump legal failures. Yeah, and his filing was was just as ridiculous as it sounds. I mean, we're we're now reading because we were going to you know talk about the filing, but this ruling has come out now. Uh, it just it just came out on Monday, right before we record the show, and just I mean, you know, I think we briefly touched on it. Uh, Pete, during our bonus episode this weekend, yep. where we said he had filed this um, ridiculous motion to just get everything thrown out everywhere because everything's illegal and it's all violating his rights uh, and it's just vague and totally unlawful. Um, and he just, I mean, he's, there's really like nothing. And I think what was interesting about that filing is I, if I'm correct, it was just uh, Alina Haba's name on it. I think that, you know, like so many other, you know, and it's interesting too, because this was fast. I mean, you're right. It, it was literally, I think Friday it was filed and we were talking about it in the bonus episode. And this is what we're in, we're taping now on Monday. I mean, you're listening on Wednesday, but truly this is like, you have weekend days in the interim, but apparently, you know, the, the, the court was so, uh, you know, overwhelmingly convinced there was absolutely nothing to this petition that they, you know, again, filed on Friday and now on Monday we have a decision from the court just you know get the hell out. So it you know they're moving quickly I think in large part aided by the fact that these legal arguments are so meritless. And again if you're I Elena Haba I don't know she, her record that she is establishing across the jurisdictions and courts of Georgia and Florida and New York is not Great. So I don't, you know, she's putting all her all her chips on the Trump square and we'll yeah. see how that we'll see how that works out for her. And and so here, you know, we have this filing just completely shot down. But, you know, it is it is of note that the special purpose grand jury just to just to talk about it for a minute. It went on for I think 8 months. 
Uh, it was very robust. They, they, they had 75 witnesses. Um, we know the, the, the four women of that special purpose grand jury did a little sort of a media tour, uh, went out and talked about how there was going to be more than a dozen indictments and that we won't be surprised uh, there will be names that we know, you know, that kind of thing. Um, when she was asked if Trump was indicted, she she said no, but her face said, well, she didn't say anything. She said, I'm, I can't say, but her face was like, uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, I think we're going to see some pretty massive um, sprawling charges coming out of Georgia for a great number of people. My I put my number at 17. That's where I'm. I'm in the office pool at 17 mm. people. Hmm. Um, hmm. so <laughs> you're like, hmm. but, uh, we'll, we'll, we end, we'll end up seeing what happens. That might be too many, uh, because I was including all of the Georgia electors until eight of them flipped and got immunity deals. Right. Right. Which by the way, because they all have a, a huge number of them were sharing the same attorney who apparently may not mm -hmm. have passed on to the attorney's clients that the state, in this case, state of Georgia, had had offered potential immunity or at a minimum, you know, sort of queen for the day to come in and talk about what they uh, knew. And so shockingly enough, when uh, the folks found out that in fact, this offer was on the table, suddenly had a huge number of them saying, wait a minute, I'll, I'll, I'll take that deal. Let me come in and see. I'm probably on the under of that. I would, I, you know, who knows? I, I, I think probably more than five, but you know, do we get to 10? I, who knows? And some of it too, you know, we, we have heard from the, uh, forewoman of the, special grand jury, but that doesn't mean, you know, that's, they are not prosecutors, right? I mean, they've heard, they've heard the evidence. They have certainly looked at the elements of the crime, but they're not prosecutors. They're not sitting there weighing evidence. But also we have to keep in mind those immunity deals didn't happen until after the special purpose grand jury was finished with its work. So if, right. if the dozen or so indictments included those eight people, then we're down, you know, if I, if I'm guessing my guess was 17 with all 12 of the people, with all 12 of the electors, then I'm down to like nine. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening. But again, second week in August, the, uh, Fannie Willis has said to clear the court. She seated the two grand juries. They have been sworn in. And um, I know that her office is now working remotely, uh, coming up here starting beginning in the last week of July. And so I think that the court is on a break the first week of August. Right. There's and a then, conference, I think, right? Uh, yeah, like a uh -huh. judicial conference that week. But I mean, that's mm -hmm. that's less than a month away. I mean, we're, we're July 19th right now. So that's, you know, by the time, and, and time just is uh, unfolding quickly. So, you know, we'll see. And I'm particularly curious, you know, I mean, certainly, you know, yes, it'll be interesting if some of the Georgia fake electors are involved, but I'm really interested, as we've talked about before, you know, I assume Trump, based on all the security preparations and warnings that she's given, that there's an expectation that Trump is going to be indicted. But I'm really interested about the the Rudy Giuliani's and all of the, you know, kind of the, the hangers on around and enablers around Trump and to what extent, yeah. particularly when it comes to his attorneys and people providing legal advice, if and and who uh, amongst that crowd are indicted because right know, is there is Ellis going to be part of it or is it just going to be cheese bro Eastman Rudy uh, is Lindsay going to be wrapped up in this for his phone calls or is he off the hook um, I think that's interesting we also have to remember the people who broke into the Coffee County elections office and stole voter data 
that was used at the Pillow right. Man's yep. symposium. Yes, exactly. Um, he's, by the way, liquidating all his pillow making equipment. Yeah, it's still, um, I, and you should look. I was looking, <laughs> going off on a tangent here. There are deals to be had. I mean, there's just like an astounding amount of like, the number of things, and I think it starts closing in, in a day or so now, or it's begun closing by the time we're, we're all listening to this, you know, any number of lots that still awaiting their first minimum $5 bid. So if you're near Shakopee, Minnesota, I think is where it's uh, based, uh, any number of my pillow accoutrements that you can pick up <laughs> for your home, there are just massive lots of thousands of empty blue bags there for the taking. So yeah, and they also have like cubicles and furniture and recycling bins and uh, yeah, he's just getting rid of li- liquidating everything, going out of business sale. Um, I think a whole cubicle sold for six dollars uh, the other day. At least that was the the bid at the time uh, when when a friend of mine sent it to me. Um, anyway, it's it's. It's going to start. I I think he could possibly be wrapped up in all that, especially with the Coffee County utilization of those data. Uh, but we'll see. We'll end up seeing uh, what happens, and of course, we're going to report it all here. Also, I really recommend you follow Hugo Lowell uh, from the Guardian. He's a really really great reporter. He's going to be down there, uh, I believe, uh, in Atlanta, uh, in Fulton County, covering this as it happens. And then you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll probably have him on as a guest. Um, as soon as those charges happen and we start getting uh, a massive amount of news coming out of Georgia. Yeah. And keep in mind, I mean, just like New York, just like in Florida, everybody who gets indicted, they have to be arraigned. So they're not necessarily going to all show up on the same day. But, you know, again, if you have people like, you know, Trump, yes, of course, he's going to have to show up, but so might anybody else. So if you got Giuliani or Cheeseboro or Eastman, they're all going to have to go and get you know, fingerprints taken and get booked and then show up and, you know, have the the charges be advised of the charges against them and enter a plea. So this is going to be, you know, again, I think for, for security reasons alone, you're not going to see however many of them there are all at once showing up, but you are going to have a stream of folks that, you know, certainly from the standpoint of, you know, the media reporting about it, uh, an interesting uh, set of characters rolling into that courtroom. Yeah, and the and that makes me think that the indictments could actually come the week that the court's off and the scheduling of all the arraignments happens those two weeks, depending on how many defendants there are. I mean, they might be able to get them done in a couple of days if, if you can arraign them back to back to back, which I imagine is something that they'll try to do. But yeah, the security is super ramped up. Everything's closed down. They've cleared everything else off their dockets. So I'm assuming that's what that's for is arraignments and arraignments and arraignments uh, down in Georgia coming up in those, those two weeks in August. So we, we may actually get information on the indictments ahead of ahead of that um, time. So it, it's not necessarily restricted to those just because the court's away doesn't mean that they, they can't or won't announce indictments. So we'll keep you posted. All right. We need to take a quick break. We have a lot more news to get to. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. 
He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is lawyers, guns, and money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. And welcome back. More patrons to thank. We have Lucinda Scott, XTY, Carol Holmes, Chuck Smith, Anne Simon, Andy Callock, Willow95, and Suzanne Tribble. Thank all of you, and, and thanks so much for your support. Again, you do make this possible, and we could not be putting this together without your support. So thank you all very much. So, yep. Allison, let's turn Let's turn to – it's always good when you get – occasionally, usually very good lawyers are very uh, dry and reserved in their pleadings, certainly, that go to court. But sometimes – Sometimes you get them writing letters to people and they can be uh, a little salty and, uh, and, I, and and we've got that here, I think. Yeah, we do. And it's Abby Lowell. You'll re- remember Abby Lowell, I believe, represented Jared Kushner during the Mueller stuff uh, and in other crimes <laughs> that happened in the Kushner family. Uh, but he now represents Hunter Biden. And as we know, Denver Riggleman has been working on the data piece. Um, trying to you know pick apart the validity or veracity of of the laptop and and they have used words like fabricated and uh, thirty to forty hands have you know well thirty to forty people I should say uh, have have been in and out of this laptop and it's not the original laptop so that's all very interesting but the now the lawyer here has sent a cease and desist letter and I think that that's the first step. It's like a first step in due process to before you sue somebody, you know? Yeah. And it does like some of it, it varies like state law uh, where it occurs. Sometimes you have like a, a notice requirement. And so I'm not sure what the, you know, what the Florida law is. But in some cases before you do go, it's not every state, but that state to state, it varies. And in some jurisdictions, you have to do sort of a demand letter, uh, which this yeah. this is. So, Yep. It says, Dear Todd, Chris, Joe, and Susan. Uh, As you know, Winston and Strawn represents, and I'm writing on behalf of our client, Hunter Biden, I'm sending this letter to make a demand that your client, former President Trump, cease and desist from making public statements about my client, which are both defamatory and likely to incite Mr. Trump's followers to take action against Mr. Biden, which could lead to his or his family's injury. 
I'm a little surprised I have to send this because it would seem that Trump is currently facing enough legal problems that he would not want to create any more liability for saying and doing things that could result in harm or injury. And because it appears you have enough to do in defending your client in various arenas now and yet to come, then have to deal with one more legal issue and one more legal case. (laughs) The most urgent issue is Trump's thinly veiled calls to action to his easy-to-trigger followers. Most recently on July 11th, Mr. Trump wrote on Truth Social, Weiss is a coward, a smaller version of Bill Barr, who never had the courage to do what everyone knows should have been done. He gave out a traffic ticket instead of a death sentence. Emphasis added. You may uh, respond that this was a mere figure of speech. However, we have seen what this might pass as such a phrase when uttered by rational rational people is hard by too many in this country. It is heard, excuse me, by too many in this country is a terrible injustice for which they must take physical violent action. Incidents of violence resulting from Trump's indictment and incitement, excuse me, like the attack on the Capitol of January 6th, have occurred with tragic and even fatal consequences. This is not a false alarm. (laughs) Late last year, former Speaker Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, was attacked in his home by an intruder. Mr. Biden was also on that attacker's hit list. Just in the past two weeks, there was another incident, this one in D.C. on June 29th. Taylor Taranto was arrested with weapons in his van in the Calorama, D.C. neighborhood where former President Obama and his family live. On the day of his arrest, Taranto reposted a truth social post from your client containing what Trump himself claimed was the Obama's home address. In a post on Telegram, Taranto wrote, We got these losers surrounded. See you in hell, Podestas and Obamas. And and with a visit from the apostrophe fairy with the apostrophe Mm -hmm. S Podestas and the apostrophe S Obamas. Yeah, and he actually believed there were tunnels, underground tunnels connecting the Podesta home and the uh, Obama Sure, that's where they they stash the babies and they're harvesting the adrenochrome to like get eternal, eternal youth. Yes. Others, too, have faced serious threats from supporters of the former president, such as Magistrate Judge Bruce Reinhart, who faced a storm of death threats following his approval of the warrant for the FBI to search Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. Judge Reinhart's home address was even posted on right-wing Internet sites, along with anti-Semitic slurs. So, so far, this is like a pretty strongly worded letter. And I really love the opening, I have to say, when he's like aren't you guys busy enough with the multiple indictments and crimes and soon more to come than to defame and open yourself up to liability for another legal case? Like, aren't you guys real busy? (laughs) It was kind of funny. Yeah. And it does show, I mean, I think there's been a marked change in sort of the legal posture of Hunter Biden in particular, and rather than just kind of quietly sort of cooperating with Weiss and seeing what is going to occur, you start, we have seen, and this is a continuation of it, a much more sort of public offensive, um, a, a, a you know an offensive defense, if you will. He's going out there and rather than letting you know the James Comer and Jim Jordans and Donald Trumps shape the narrative of what did or didn't happen, along with everybody in the right wing uh, you know media ecosphere. Now we've got folks coming out and making very clear statements that not only you know there's a legitimate concern here, there's a legitimate threat about what Trump statements might do in terms of encouraging violence, but it's also an opportunity to throw out like like you know the truth. And I 
I, I still have some problems, and I think it may be beginning to change, that there was some indication that particularly when it came to you know, prominent members of the Democratic Party, whether they're members of the House or the Senate, that they didn't want to get involved in making statements about Hunter Biden and whether or not that was coming from the White House to say, hey, leave this apolitical, let you know the justice system do whatever they want. The fact of the matter is the Republicans and right-wing media were just going after this nonstop. And in the absence of any sort of vocal defense, it was, in my opinion, getting a lot more traction than it should have. And now, you know, courtesy yeah. of this letter and other things, I think we're starting to see a little counter narrative that I think, frankly, is is important. I'm, you know, and we'll talk in a little bit about you know the continuing, you know, quote unquote whistleblowers and whether or not there's any validity to their claims about what was or wasn't done with Biden. But you know, at least with Abby Lowell, you, you've got this dual purpose, right? On the one hand. Yeah, you know, there's a legitimate concern about violence and and Trump statements, but two, it is a more vocal defense that I think is a is filling a void that had been there for quite some time. Yeah, no, agreed. Um, and and he goes on to say, we're just one such social media message away from another incident, and you should make clear to Trump if you've not done so already that his words have caused harm in the past and threaten to do so again if he does not stop. It is not just his actual calls for action that inflame his followers. Trump has invoked my client's name on social media accounts to harass and incite his followers on a near daily basis since Trump himself was indicted. For example, mentioning my client more than 20 times in posts in July alone. Specifically, Trump has doubled down on his dangerous rhetoric about Mr. Biden in the days since he reached a resolution with the Department of Justice and even beforehand. On March 31st, when Trump was notified that charges had been filed in New York State, your client's response was to post on Truth Social, Where's Hunter? the following week during an evening address at Mar-a-Lago after 34 charges against Mr. Trump were unsealed and he surrendered and was arraigned. Your client's response was again to make wild allegations against Mr. Biden and his family. On June 24th, Trump posted repeated false charges on Truth Social. Quote, when Hunter Biden harshly threatened the Chinese businessman, he and his father, Joe, were in Joe's house. Even the ownership of the house and rent paid are questionable and now forgotten about by the fake news media, where the classified documents having to do with China were stored. They took in millions of dollars from China. How much information was given? Big stuff. Joe was totally corrupt. And the same day... Abby Lowell goes on to say, Trump posted, quote, Biden will do about Russia whatever President Xi of China wants him to do. Remember, Hunter and Joe illegally took large amounts of money from both countries. But China right now is the bigger threat, unquote. Mr. Trump has also reposted on Truth Social libelous comments about my client, including one on June 26th that said, American Justice, 69-year-old grandma with cancer, given more prison time for walking inside the U.S. Capitol than Hunter Biden for sharing classified documents with foreign regimes and multi-million dollar bribery scheme. Mr. Trump currently captioned the above post, horrible. And just this week on July 10th, and that that is pretty straightforward defamation right there. Uh, just this week on July 10th, Trump attacked our client, now four years sober and proud of his recovery, by baselessly claiming that the cocaine discovered at the White House over the 4th of July weekend was for use by Hunter and probably Crooked Joe in order to give this total disaster of a president a little life and energy, unquote. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and this would be like one, it's appalling that you have somebody who was the president of the United States babbling like this, libelous babbling in my opinion. But two, he is a prospective future president of the United States. And finally, if you want to talk about like allegations of drug use and odd behavior of a president and his son, how about old, you know, sniffy Don Jr. and, you know, the, the deep inhale sniffles Trump every time he gives us a halfway serious interview. I mean, there's everything, you know, is, is I shouldn't say everything is projection. Every but there accusation is a, is a you know, it's, yeah. it, it, there, there is certainly a question when you start making accusations of this nature. There are certainly a lot of other accusations that have swirled about exactly the same thing. But the difference is, you know, whoever's saying that in whatever corner of the internet or whatever sort of tabloid, you know, TV show or, you know, National Enquirer article, it isn't a former president of the United States. And I think, you know, this was included at some point, I want to say in one of these uh, Truth Social posts that he also accused Jack Smith that he, he looks like a crackhead. You've yeah. got to be kidding me. No, no, he doesn't. Yeah. No, he doesn't. Mm. No, he doesn't. Mm. No, he doesn't. Show me, show me any person who looks at a picture of Jack Smith and says he looks like a crackhead. He doesn't. And, and so it's just this babble that, you know, would be comical were it not for the fact of, you know, the, the basis for Abby Lowell's letter that there are a huge number of people that hang on Trump's every post and even a small, tiny percentage of them, if they are not mentally well, if they decide like, you know, these other folks have, have taken matters into their own hand, decide right. to, you know, Taranto and others. I, it 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 is I it, mark my words and it pains me to say this and it's awful. Somebody's going to die. Somebody is going to die. There's going to be somebody, whether it's you know Caesar Sayak who couldn't you know fashion a functioning uh, you know a pipe bomb or improvised explosive device, or somebody who you know kind of a Keystone cop trying to find the address of Obama and Podesta. Somebody is going to be more competent and or have the ability to get access to firearms, and somebody is going to get more than hurt. And that's what yeah. it's going to take. And I don't even know yeah. that that's going to be enough. And um, and he actually says here, um, talking about the defamation, the letter, we're almost done with the letter here, but Abby Lowell says, you know, if Mr. Trump does not, that Mr. Biden has neither committed nor been accused of charges that your client is claiming, for example, mishandling or even having access to classified information, and that the Biden family was not at the White House, let alone in the vestibule, in the period when the cocaine was found. Trump constantly and misleadingly agitates his followers about the so-called injustice between what he's facing and what he perceives to be undue leniency to our client is exactly that which people use to justify, quote, taking the law into their own hands. Right. Like you said, Pete. And let's be clear, if it was Trump, not Biden, who allegedly shared classified documents with others. And it is Mr. Trump who is accused of paying hush money, for example, to bribe to prevent publicity about his personal actions. Accordingly, I'm writing to demand that you stop this. You have to put a stop to this. Indeed, during the initial proceedings in New York, April 4th, Judge Merchan made a similar request to you to speak to Mr. Trump, quote, and anybody else you need to, and remind them to please refrain from making statements that are likely to incite violence or civil unrest, unquote. You need not respond, as I'm hoping you will speak with Trump privately and explain to him how this incitement can further hurt people and cause him yeah. even more legal trouble. Good luck. Good luck. No good need luck. to write yeah, back to us. Yeah, right. And good luck trying to get your client. There is no worse place, unless you're Alina Haba, there is no worse place to be than trying to be counsel to Donald Trump and trying to get him to do anything uh, 
lawful and or in his interest. The man, the, he will not stop. I mean, look, I don't think any, there's, I don't think anybody. And I think this could, is really just a step to, to suing. I really, I really, I know that they're, I think, I mean, we've had stories that they're planning a lawsuit. They've got Denver Riggleman. They've got all the, the date. I mean, it seems like they're, they're going for a defamation suit. Yeah. And look, I mean, there's stuff there. And even if it's not like, you know, whether or not you get to Trump or not, I mean, I certainly think there's some question about in terms of whether or not there's any sort of coordination between Trump and the while in the White House or even now and certain elements of the media and to the extent you have, you know, whether they sue Trump for defamation or like you said earlier, you know, whether they go after Fox News or some other media outlet. The question is whether or not the things in here that people knew to be knew to be false. And again, Hunter Biden's a public figure, so you have to hit the actual malice standard for for defamation, which is higher. But you know, as we've seen with defamation, and as we're seeing, or with uh, with Smartmatic and the voting machines, there is a space for successful civil litigation against some of the the folks who are broadcasting this. So, yeah, I think they might go Fox. I think they might do Trump. I think they could go throw Rudy in there. I mean, he's he's got enough going on, but uh, you know, might as well throw another log on that pile um, uh, for his defamation and for his handling of the lap for his role in in perhaps manufacturing some of that laptop stuff. Who knows? I mean, we know, you know, we know that he was, I think he was investigated criminally for that and cleared or they weren't going to bring charges for his uh, trips to things that he did in Ukraine. I'm not sure. They didn't, they said that they weren't going to charge, but they didn't say why. They didn't give us any declinations or anything like that. And DOJ isn't required to do that. I still would have liked to have known um, what they were looking at and why they didn't bring charges. But um, that's the way that that ended up. So we could we could end up seeing us him in a civil suit here as well. Uh, we'll just, we'll just see, and you know we'll we'll of course we'll report on it and we'll tell you all about it when it happens. Um, we have more news. We have to take a quick break. Everybody, stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit 
standing in the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. All right, everybody, welcome back. Uh, just a few more patrons to thank. Thank you so much to Allison Marish or Maresh, Annie Clement, Life Size, Becca Barlow, Roberta Renshaw, Leanne Loder, Lisa Scales, Daisy Compton, and Scott Peters. Thank you so, so much. Again, if you want to become a patron, you can do it at patreon.com slash aisle45pod. Uh, Pete, what's up next? What do we, we got? got? We got sanctions, Allison. We have sanctions against the triumvirate a message of to Carrie, you, Rudy. <laughs> Carrie Lake, <laughs> Alan Dershowitz, and Rudy. The three just, just couldn't happen to a group of better Americans, fine attorneys, people who have spent their <laughs> life in a place where they should have known better. Yet here we are, retired Harvard Law professor Alan Dershowitz lost a bit on Friday to avoid sanctions over a lawsuit by failed Arizona gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake that sought to prohibit the use of electronic voting machines in her state's 2022 midterm elections. However... <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, imagine that's that's a to be a fly on the wall of those uh, discussions between client and attorney. Um, who knows? But it, it isn't all uh, it might seem because U.S. District Judge John Tucci in Phoenix held that Dershowitz is only responsible for ten percent of a one hundred twenty-two thousand two hundred dollar sanction. He leveled against the rest of Lake and former Arizona State Representative Mark Fincham's legal team which consisted of Andrew Parker of Parker Daniels Kiebert and Kurt B. Olson of the Olson Law Firm. Quote, uh. <laughs> eh, you know, but still $12,220. $12, that's, uh, you for know. For Alan I, I, and then 110000 for everybody else. <laughs> right. And, you know, meanwhile, Alan Dershowitz, I see, has some, you know, reached a, a some sort of entente with the Martha's Vineyard Library that had not had him speak, where I think he's speaking to a small group here. So, you know, kind of offsetting things. You can, you know, figure out where he's going to come up with that $12,000. But the judge, Judge Tucci, said in his ruling, quote, failing to impose meaningful sanctions here might very well encourage others to follow suit by lending their credibility to documents filed in court without facing any real consequence if their certifications prove hollow or incomplete. Continuing, quote, the need for general deterrence is therefore significant. Amen. I, it's just, you know, I'm glad yeah. to see that, you know, we've saw, and, and the thing, you know, and again, I, I would not be surprised at all to see, you know, potential charges against Rudy coming down in Georgia. But the fact of the matter is you had some of these key people who were showing up across state after state after state. And for, you know, for Dershowitz to be helping just this craziness that Carrie Lake trying to, you know, stop using electronic voting machines in the midterms uh, last year. It, it, it is well past time for attorneys who are just truly slinging crap in filings, falsehoods, right. things that are not substantiated. It is well past time and, and certainly very glad to see courts, you know, both, both on the one hand, the courts levying fines and sanctions, as well as increasingly uh, bar organizations that are beginning to uh, levy sanctions as well. So it's a good thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
But that's not all. That's just that's the appetizer. No, that's not all. I've got I've got the uh, that we've had the amuse bouche. Now we have uh, the entree coming. But yeah, I do want. I I think you point make a good point. You know, Rudy was just recommended for disbarment by the DC panel. He's also got his law license suspended in New York, uh, and both DC pending the outcome of that. Eastman uh, is is going through it disbarment uh, hearings, and so is Jeffrey Clark who was the one who Donald wanted to appoint the attorney general over the over a graveyard, is what Hirschman said. You, you'd be attorney general. We will all quit if that happens. But let's um, let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room here. Um, Judge Beryl Howell. Let me bring up this minute order. I just want to read it to you because it's pretty fantastic. Uh, Defendant Giuliani is cautioned that failure to comply with the May order directing him to search and produce all materials responsive to the plaintiff's RFPs within the date ranges agreed to by the parties with the assistance of a professional vendor, including from his two uh, eponymous businesses for which he declared subject to penalty of perjury that he was collecting, searching, and producing responsive materials that are in his possession, custody, or control, Giuliani may result in severe discovery sanctions. Um, See Federal Rule Civil Procedure 37B2A, outlining potential sanctions for a party failing to obey an order to provide or permit discovery, including, one, directing that the matters embraced in the order or other designated facts be taken as established for purposes of the action as the prevailing party claims, uh, rendering a default judgment against the disobedient party, or treating it as a contempt of court, the failure to obey. Uh, and then she does a quote citation. Explaining the courts has inherent power to impose sanctions for violating a court order, including contempt citations, fines, awards of attorney's fees, and such other orders and sanctions as they find necessary, including even dismissals and default judgments. And that's signed by Judge Beryl Howe, and it was in response to Freeman and Moss, Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss, who filed a sanctions motion for severe sanctions and asking for a default judgment because Rudy wasn't handing it. And apparently they were in talks and close to a resolution and asked for a couple more days and the talks completely broke down. They filed this motion for severe sanctions and it's, it seems like here is a warning shot from Beryl Hal that this uh, she's, she's contemplating what to do here. Yeah, and we talked about this on the bonus episode. So I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to know what happened because both parties, both uh, Freeman Moss on the one hand and Rudy on the other, jointly asked the court for more time saying, you know, we think we're close to a potential resolution here. So there was something that both sides believed to be productive going on and then suddenly just a 180. And where Freeman and Moss filed and saying, hey, look, we're asking for severe sanctions. So my guess is that there was something there that they thought Rudy was, you know, they thought making an offer in good faith. And it quickly became apparent that that he wasn't or they believe that there's some sort of games being played. Now, that's speculation. But whatever it was, I mean, there was a, you know, a complete 180 in very, very short order. Yeah, it's hard to like for them to completely fall apart like that. Usually if you're if the two parties are close. You can continue or it doesn't completely fall apart and go to shit in like a minute. Right. So it had to be something like he just didn't ha- he and, promised yes, something and he it couldn't was, deliver or something. Exactly. It was not a filing saying, hey, the parties haven't been able to come to a resolution, so we're going to need the courts. No, it was we want severe sanctions and a default judgment. So it was not a, you know, look, they fell apart. You're absolutely right. It was something that was very... Uh, 
you know, strongly Abrupt. worded and, and certainly not, not any sort of middle ground. And the other thing too is, and, and mentioned this again earlier in the, that Rudy isn't, this isn't something where you've got a donut shop owner who mistakenly put, you know, nuts in a nut free donut and somebody's in front of Judge Judy asking for $1,500 in, in, in hospital fees. This guy was is an attorney. He was the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. He is an accomplished prosecutor. This isn't just some mope who doesn't know what discovery means, who doesn't understand what discovery obligations are, who doesn't understand the sort of ethical and you know philosophical underpinnings of our judicial system. This is a man who spent the better part of his career supporting and defending and prosecuting cases to advance and maintain the rule of law. And he's playing games. And when you read what Judge Howell, I mean, she's not playing any games whatsoever. When you look at that minute no, order, yeah. it's like, look, you're you're facing a potential world of hurt. And again, it's not, she's not saying that to Joe Schmo, who is representing himself pro se. She is saying this to America's mayor. She is saying this to a former U.S. attorney. She is saying this to somebody who absolutely knows better. And that makes it all the worse that he's doing this. Someone who's participated in discovery on the other side a zillion times, right? Uh, so it's it is it's it's truly fascinating to you know because we kind of think of Rudy as like this schlub with his who shits his face, like his face melts off and he's in front of the landscaping company between a dildo shop and a crematorium. But yeah, you're right. He was the U. He was the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. Uh, he was the mayor. Of New York City, like he was a presidential the, candidate, like and had he, not yeah. a you know not a a trivial run uh, when he when he ran. I it just what he there's so many this this era. I'm telling you, when it gets around to the historians and people are writing biographies, there there are a few that I want to read. But really, Rudy Giuliani too. Is, is, is I mean, some, yeah, all you know, all of these attorneys, um, Durham, Durham, what, what, yep. what happened to Durham? So Bill Barr, I mean, he was kind of always an asshole, but you know, um, it's just, it's pretty astounding uh, what happens when you represent Donald Trump or get mixed up in that, in that tribe at all. Uh, all right. We do have a little bit more news to get to, but we have to take another quick break. Everybody stick around. Oh, by the way, Rudy also has to pay $89,000. Uh, do we, do we mention that? I think I might have forgotten to mention that. He's yeah, okay. Well, which is nice, though, because like $89,000 there plus the 10% of 122000 So that's 12 plus 89. So excellent. We're now, whatever, if I do my math correctly, that's 100 and what, 1,000 and change. So he's well, up the in the Well, the 12,000 is for Dershowitz. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I'm sorry. You're absolutely right. That's Dershowitz. You got your wrong shitty perverted lawyer. Yes, he's going to have to sell the the, what little AV equipment that his two eponymous uh, companies appear to maintain as assets. Sell those CD-ROM burners. Makes me want to go listen to REM. All right. Now we're going to take a quick break. So I just wanted to get that $89,000 fine uh, sanctions fine out there for Rudy as well. Forgot to mention that. Uh, Everybody stick around. We'll be right back. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I 
step off the plane and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler... How much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary... They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, show me in a courtroom how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th. Or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now. All right, welcome back, everyone. We have from House Republicans on Tuesday saying they still hope to call a man indicted on charges of arms trafficking and acting as an unregistered foreign agent for Chinese entities. As a witness in their investigations of President Biden and his son Hunter. Because you know what? It doesn't matter if somebody is acting on behalf of the Chicoms, the, the Chinese communists as an unregistered agent. It doesn't matter if the person is sanction busting with the Iranians. It doesn't matter if the man is accused arms of arms trafficking with Libya and others. By God, if he has information. And it doesn't matter that he's been charged, arrested, and is an international fugitive from justice. As long as he has information about President Biden and his son, Hunter, James Comer is on the trail. Now, and here's, he is going to bring fun. him in. Here's the fun part to me. So when this guy, Gal Luft, was over, uh, he was being investigated, you know, for his connections to China. And when he went over and talked to uh, FBI agents uh, and told them that there was some, you know, kind of bribery scheme going on with Chinese and Hunter Biden or Joe Biden, uh, it was during that meeting that they want to that the Republicans want to question him about that he lied to FBI agents and was charged with lying. But not only is he charged with all this other stuff. But he's also a fugitive, right? Yep. Yes. And nobody knows where he is. He was in, I think, Cyprus. He was arrested and released on bail and fled. And we don't know where he is. And God knows how the uh, House Republicans, presumably they'll get him on a little Zoom square and, and pipe him in. But, you know, if anything, it just goes to show. I mean, it, it, it doesn't, 
it doesn't matter who the person is. It doesn't matter, you know, and what they were worried about, like, you know, the credibility of steel and, and, and the, you know, the dossier, (laughs) come on, that guy at least was a former, you know, foreign government employee and, you know, professionally competent. And now you've got this guy who is literally an international fugitive indicted for working with our worst enemies, multiple worst enemies, Iranians, Chinese, I, but doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And then, of course, you know, they the Republicans say, look at the corrupt Department of Justice indicting our whistleblower as soon as he's about to blow, come and talk to us and blow the roof off the story. But then, then DOJ, and honestly, I think DOJ kind of unsealed the indictment because they knew what the Republicans were getting at and who they were trying to get to talk to. And I think they unsealed it. And they're like, yeah, no, look, um, he was indicted last year, fellas. Um, and he's been on the lam ever since. He's a fugitive. He lied. He's a, he's a known liar. Your, your, your credible witness is, is a, a <laughs> an indicted liar. It's, it's yeah. mind-boggling. And it's becoming such a pattern. It's almost like a Saturday Night Live skit, right? That, you know, right. House Republicans will sit there and say, hey, well, we've got these whistleblowers and we've demanded information from the FBI about why they were fired and they're coming in tomorrow to testify and DOJ and the yeah, FBI Yeah, like, say, who's oh, next? Like, hey, yeah, they all had, you know, half of them had their clearances revoked and that's why they are, you know, been proposed for termination. Of- it's like, oh, you know, we're going to bring this guy in. <laughs> and then DOJ says, well, you know, turns out he's, you know, indicted on multiple counts. I'm not sure. I don't think DOJ, who knows? I, it, it is curious why the timing, but it sure feels like, I mean, there, there, there is a, a not so small part of me that is deeply amused every single time you, you get James and Jim huffing and puffing and, you know, trying to get all ready for their next, uh, you know, hearing. And all of a sudden, and this the FBI just releases sledgehammer, information. sledgehammer yeah. <laughs> truth comes in and, and destroys whatever they had, uh, you know, lined up. And speaking of which, you know, we've got some, uh, we've got some testimony coming up, right? From the, from IRS folks. Oh yeah, the Shapley guy. But I, I, I just, I, I have the Saturday Night Live sketch in my head now. They just keep bringing in new witnesses, like the parade of witnesses, like OJ, uh, and then you know they bring in and get like, Bill Hader back as Jim Jordan, and every time he's oh, you know, just then they, yeah. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. And then, and then have like a, a weekend at Bernie's Whitey Bulger come in, you know, like who's next? Who's going to be the next whistleblower? Every time. Every <laughs> time. Ridiculous. Every time. But yeah, Shapley is going to be testifying, I think on, I think as this show airs on Wednesday. Yes, I think that's right. And right after that, we're going to be able to talk to um, Representative Goldman uh, on the Daily Bean. So that's going to be a, a great uh, interview that'll come out Thursday, but that that hearing does happen Wednesday, and it's going to be just like all the other ones. It's just going to be a, a shit show. It's going to be a clown, a circus, uh, and um, you know we'll, we'll definitely watch it for you. But um, there there was something else that happened, um, so a little late breaking news, and I wanted to talk to you about it. That Discord leaker Jack Teixeira, um, who's in pretrial detention right now. Um, he's the guy who leaked all the classified documents to his gaming server and then to a wider audience than we thought. But he's now asking a judge to reconsider his detention, his pretrial detention, pointing out that he's charged with the same federal counts as the former president and the prosecutors did not oppose Trump's release. What, what would your argument be for this fella? 
I mean, it doesn't hurt. I don't think it's going to get anywhere. I mean, there's no harm in his defense attorney making this argument. It's not going to, I mean, it can't get worse. I mean, he's already uh, detained pending trial. And so it's not going to be the kind of thing that I think is going to infuriate the judge. Do I think it has a real chance of succeeding? Not at all. I think there's some real notable differences between Teixeira. You know, one clearly, in addition to the classified documents, he was, you know, posting it in a place where there were, you know, it appears foreign actors there. There's some indication that he might have told some folks that he knew to be foreign actors, hey, if you have any questions, ask me. And of course, separate and distinct from any sort of classified information he may have in his head, he's got this whole history of, you know, uh, gun possession of, you know, suspension from school and high school for making, uh, you know, what were perceived as threats of violence. So not only is there a potential His assassination harm to the, mobile. Yeah. And running around and like screaming racial epithets on a videotape of him at the Not range shooting. and then unloading a, you know, a, a semi-automatic weapon downrange. So not only is there a threat to the community from the potential classified information in his head, there's also a potential threat of violence. And then finally, the other thing when it comes to like, you know, releasing on bail and, and risk of flight, you know, Trump's running for president. He is, everybody in the world knows who he is. He is not going to be able to, you know, run and hide somewhere. You know, the, the idea that Trump would try and, you know, make it to Tijuana and from there get down to Nicaragua and, you know, live, you know, chopping up uh, coconuts on a, on a beach resort somewhere, whatever the case may be, the threat of the, the risk of flight for Teixeira is just a very different sort of prospect than it is for Trump. Now, again, and I think I mean, I don't think the charges are exactly the same. I mean, 793E under the Espionage Act, uh, he, he I think Teixeira is, is um, charged with transmission, uh, not just uh, possession, um, uh, of, of national defense information. And that's different in and of itself. And I think that the feds explain that in the pretrial detention motion to be like, he's got stuff. He could be, he's destroyed stuff. We don't know what's in his head. He's sharing this shit. Um, now of course, a lot of us are, you know, would say the same thing about Donald Trump, but he's not charged with transmission or trans transmittal, of classified information, as I believe Teixeira is. It's a different part of the Espionage Act, but Teixeira's argument is, Espionage Act is the Espionage Act. We're both charged under it. I should be a free man, too. Yeah, and there is a difference, too, between, again, you know, all Trump's claims that he declassified something, that he's allowed to have it on the Presidential Records Act are are clear BS. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is there's a difference. When you're the president of the United States, what the the nuances of the law when it comes to access and handling your classified information, and certainly, you know, what changes when you transition from being the president to being an ex-president, there's a little bit of a nuance there that is absolutely not present when you're talking a 21-year-old Air National Guardsman who took a bunch of really highly classified stuff that he shouldn't have and and was posting it all over the internet. And so they're not analogous. I mean, it may be the same. And I think they may be both 793E, but, you know, certainly are both 793. But, you know, as you indicated, Trump is not. There's a there's a, a retention and failure to produce on Teixeira. There's also indications there's a transmittal. Now, it, it it's, it's, it's just a very different, it's not an apples to apples comparison. Don't blame his attorney for trying to make the case. It certainly oh, is yeah, getting, no. you know, mm-hmm. it got picked up across the news. You know, we were, we were sharing, a, you shared a CNN article with me that they're writing about it. So to the extent it is making this case, it, it's it's worth doing. But I, I, I don't think it's going to sway the judge. 
I think it'll fail. I think he'll he will remain. I mean, the judge they they have made a determination based on all the evidence and the facts that he needs to be in pretrial detention, and and that's that. This nothing changes those that set of facts that led to the decision to put him in pretrial detention. Um, so, all right, that is our show. Thank you again so much to all our new patrons. Um, we really really appreciate you. And um, gosh, it's it's going to be interesting to see what kind of a week, what kind of weeks we have coming ahead, especially down in down in Georgia. I've got Georgia on my mind. So uh, we'll, we'll keep everybody posted. And, you know, we'll be here this weekend also uh, with our with our little bonus ranty episode. So you'd be able to enjoy that. Do you have any final thoughts before we get out of here, Pete? Nope. I'm curious to see on the, uh, you know, other other podcasts of yours, what Eileen Cannon decides to do this week, because she and both the government and Trump's attorneys are going to be discussing SEPA uh, scheduling and uh, the, the broadly trial scheduling. Um, part of the issue is if it's a, done during a SEPA proceeding, it may not be public. So again, I'm, I'm curious how much access we'll get to that information, but that's also kind of rolling along. So a lot of stuff. Yeah, and she did and, tell everyone to prepare to for to argue for their when they want to have the trial. So that yes. happens Tuesday, uh, which and, is yesterday as you're listening to this. And as you mentioned earlier, the long hot summer needs to have a long cocktail hour for patrons. So we will uh, put our heads together and come up with a date and and set that up here sometime. Yeah, we sure will. Uh, all right. Thank you so much, everybody. We will see you next week on Clean Up on Hour 45. I've been Allison Gill. And I'm Pete Strzok. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is written, researched, and produced by Allison Gill with editing by Molly Hockey. Our art and logo designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios, and our music is composed and performed by Adam Orr. Clean Up on Aisle 45 is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, Welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. 
I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is Lawyers, Guns, and Money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.